With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me tonight, it's my good friend, Nate Tice. Nate, how you doing, buddy? Doing great. A little countdown right there. We're live from my apartment. It's Sunday night. <laughs> yeah, I, trust me. I was uh, I was not ready uh, for all of this setup, but I'm very excited. I'm very excited to be coming to people live after the games. It was an exciting weekend of football, and we have a ton to get to. So we're going to start with... The Sunday night game that we just watched between the Saints and the Bucks, Buccaneers end up winning this game 30 to 20. I think this game unfolded in a pretty similar way to what we would have imagined coming into it. You know, we imagined that the Bucs were going to be really aggressive defensively in a way that they weren't the last time these two teams played against each other. They were. They forced Drew Brees into a few key mistakes in this game. So when you're thinking about the overall Bucks approach in this game, what do you think are the keys to what ended up kind of putting them out in front? It was a lot. Two man had its day today, both sides of the yeah. ball. It was like kind of exactly how we thought it would play out because there's not going to be a lot of QB scrambling. So it was <laughs> it was kind of how it played. A lot of game, a lot of swing of uh, uh, scores. You know, a lot of changes with that. You know, we thought a lot of lead changes, so we kind of thought this game was going to be close, and it played out that way until it pulled away at the end. But I mean, two of those interceptions were against two man, and we saw the whole yeah. day both teams knowing that they're getting that, trying to find ways to beat it. Because if the quarterback's not scrambling, it's pretty pretty dang hard. So like that's that's why you know Brady's forced to throw back shoulder throws to Johnson in the fourth quarter because that's a two man beater because the the corner has his you know back turned to him. You know uh, the first interception it was uh, two man again, and on that one the guy just undercut him. And even after that, like you know it was just it was exactly what the Bucks are going to play. We talked about before. Bowles is just going to run what he wants to run, and when. Like he's going to run his two man, he's going to run a spot drop zone, and he's going to bring some pressure. It was funny because actually we said you know Breeze is going to shred any pressure. They brought pressure and he hit Traquan Smith for the touchdown. It was like you know he just caught him when he had to catch him. But it was exactly what the Bucks were always going to do. They're going to run their stuff, they're going to run their shit, and then they're just going to make you try to beat them. And Breeze didn't make enough throws. Some of those throws were looking very loopy. It, you know, I, I said it looked like you know a Madden throw where you accidentally hit the button when you don't mean to, and so the ball just lobs <laughs> in there. And that's what some of those throws looked like. So I was actually for a while there going like, "Oof, Breeze is gonna have to do this out next week at Lambeau." But the Bucks won, so don't have to have that thought. But we have to talk about Breeze's retirement next or something like that. It felt like if the Bucks really brought it to the Saints offense, that they weren't going to have the amount of firepower necessary to overcome aggressive defense, aggressive man defense, pressure looks. And again, that's counterintuitive to what you'd expect from Breeze over the course of his career. He's one of those guys that if you blitz him, he's going to burn you. And that's just not what happened tonight. They were in the hip pocket of those Saints receivers the entire game. And that Murphy bunting interception is pretty much exactly 
what I wanted them to do coming into this game. It was a five-man pressure with Devin White. They flush Breeze out of the pocket. They have Burphy bunting in the hip pocket of Michael Thomas. He makes the interception, nearly runs it back for a touchdown. Breeze finished this game 19 of 34 for 134 yards and three interceptions. He, they just didn't have it. This version of Drew Brees against a defense that was willing to dictate the game to him in the way that the Buccaneers did, I just thought it was going to be really tough for this Saints offense to end up overcoming that obstacle, and they couldn't do it. And I was not surprised to see this, but it still is kind of a bummer that this is the way we had to watch Drew Brees at, yeah. in his 40s, clearly not 100%, you know, with weapons that really couldn't challenge the, a very good defense when they're playing the way that they want to. That's what we saw today. And it just, it's not surprising, but it still is disappointing, especially if you're a Saints fan. Yeah. And the run game tried, like they, they, they're always going to have a good run game. The Saints are always going to do what they have to do. But, you know, even the second interception that uh, Devin White got, it was, you know, the miscommunication that happens on it. Yeah. And it's, you know, you could tell they, in between those plays, because they were running choice routes with Kamara, they're going to run those every week. They adjusted. And I guess, I think it was covered three on that play. So on that play, there is a, a design and usually you see this you see this like once a season a team tries to run this and it'll be like it'll be an angle concept but then they just keep the running back up a seam as opposed to angling across he just goes runs right up the seam and you're trying to split it and it looked like there's a miscommunication on that play i don't know if breeze just blanked on it because he looked really disappointed himself after and kamara looked like he was sure of what he was trying to do so like those you know that's what happened today like you said it was kind of kind of sad to see it see it go, go down this way um Fun kind of seeing the the gadget play still, even with Taysom Hill not in there, <laughs> and Jason and James Winston just split out there. It was like I I I kind of compared it to like uh you know whoever the role in that it's like what's like, the same thing and no one blinked an eye because they were just like okay run the same thing we'll have James out there even without the run through at Taysom Hill and it's like switching to like Katie Holmes and Maggie Gyllenhaal in the Batman movies like you know it's <laughs> hey wait a minute you're different uh yeah why you you seem different. Sure, yeah, it's and it was one of those things that I think that there was no way they were going to have any big plays down the field. The fact that the gadget play was the only thing they really did, I think is telling. It was their only completion of more than 16 yards in this game, which isn't surprising considering the way that the Bucs were playing on defense. On the other side of the ball, this is the reason that the Bucs went out to get Tom Brady. This is the vision of this team that they probably had in mind when they decided to do this. And I remember the day they signed him. I was doing something and I it was working and I stopped what I was doing to write about it. And when I wrote about it and when I talked about it afterward, even all through the preseason, my view of it was that this team was talented enough that they just needed a quarterback who wasn't going to actively detract from what they were trying to do offensively. They needed a quarterback that was going to keep things on the rails, that was going to avoid turnovers, that was going to avoid negative plays because they were talented enough. I thought offensively and defensively that as long as they had somebody that could keep this thing moving in the right direction, as long as they had somebody that didn't drag everything down the way that Jameis Winston could in certain moments, that they were going to be a dangerous team. And that's exactly what we saw. Even beyond that, the guys that I really thought, oh, these are the final pieces, were the draft that they had. I loved them going to get Tristan Wirfs in the first round, getting him where they did. When you consider he was the fourth of those tackles taken, he might be the best one of that group. It's a steal. And when they drafted Antoine Winfield, I thought this is exactly what their defense needed. They needed a playmaker in the secondary who could have one of these swing plays. And then he gets the forced fumble against Jared Cook. I love that play. I loved it because obviously that's just a playmaking gene that guys like Peanut Tillman and his dad yeah. had and things like that. But waiting 
for Cook to secure the catch before he went for the punch. So it was going to be a fumble instead of an incomplete pass. That dude is just a savvy, savvy player. But this was it. This was the overall vision when you bring in Tom Brady and you think, all right, we need one, two, three pieces before we are a team that can get right there on the doorstep. And that's exactly what this was for the Bucs tonight. Of course, you'd love cover two corners. You're just like, <laughs> you know, Junior is a safety, but getting raised on cover two and Lovey Smith and then watching Antoine Whitfield, his dad, play in Minnesota for as long as I did. That is a type of football that is very, very close to my heart. Nine, ten games a season, you used to just get all the cover two that you could get. It was a <laughs> oh, that was perfect for you. Um, you know, and just seeing like everything with uh with Brady's doing and and I think the last couple of weeks they've I wouldn't say the last couple, I would say the last half of the season, they really figured out what kind of concepts they were really preferring with him. Um today you didn't really see it because all the two man, but a typical typical pass concepts they run out. So much of stuff was going progressing left to right, right to left. And even stuff like Bruce Arians, even as aggressive as his concepts usually are in his play calling, it's funny when how risk adverse he can be in like fourth down situations. And now he like figured out, you know, old dogs can learn new tricks because now he's figured out that, oh, oh, I got this cheat code known as the Tom Brady QB sneak. Okay, let's use it a couple times. And like even early in the game when they had a fourth and short on their own side of the field, he he ran it. And it was it was good to see, you know, playoffs. Please, thank God you <laughs> do this in the playoffs. Um, but, you know, you see that stuff transition and you see the whole offense coming together a little bit. Um, it's just funny. We talk about Evans. We talk about Godwin. We talk about Antonio Brown. And then it's. Johnson and Scotty Miller making the huge plays against two man at the end of the game. And I mean, who was surprised about that? I certainly wasn't surprised by that, that Scotty Miller exactly. would make the most important big play in the game for the Bucks. Huge moment that, for Barrington High School. Uh, I was very happy when that happened. Very happy for play. Scotty. I got a text from my, my high school football coach, who was his high school football coach. It, we're celebrating over here for What's Scotty Miller and the Barrington football program. It wasn't just like a go route. They were in a double move with him. It yes. was like they, yes. they were chalking it up for him. because Well, that's that's a two-man beater. It's You have to run double moves because you're trying to get the guys to bite on it or come up on it, and that's what they did. And uh, yeah, that's just it's just funny. I saw Scotty Miller and Brady just dropped it in. Scotty had enough time to look up, look at the safety screaming at him. And he was like, OK, I'm getting down right here. Almost drew the foul, too, which, you know, I'll, I'll credit that to your high school coach. <laughs> As you should. I mean, if you look at the numbers in this game, it's not surprising. I mean, Brady went 18 of 33 for 199 yards. This Saints defense is really, really good. Yes. And I was not impressed necessarily with just the approach that the Bucks took. It was a lot of runs on early downs get behind the sticks, and then those our guys are better than your guys sorts of plays that we talked about being a little bit frustrating when you're looking at this Buccaneers team all week or all season. But they still managed to pull it out thanks to some swing plays on defense, everything else. I want to kind of revisit something we talked about last week in reference to Brady because I think we need to really step back and understand how ridiculous it is that Tom Brady is back in the conference championship game. And I know I just got done saying that he took over a really talented team and all of this. But he played extremely well this season. And the idea that this 43-year-old guy is just waltzing back into another conference championship game like he does every single year in his first year with a new team, it doesn't matter how talented they are. It's still something that I think we have to step back and be in absolute awe of. I mean, it just seems so normal at this point, one, for the Saints to lose a home playoff game when they shouldn't, and two for Tom Brady to be in the conference championship game. It felt so incredibly comfortable the way that game ended. And I don't think either of those things are things we should just take for granted or take at face value. 
Yeah, even like how quickly he's hitting everything, it's like it's fascinating to watch because it's like he is doing everything the epitome of it. Like every read is perfect, and it, it's like yeah, he has talented guys around him, but it's like that ball gets out so quick on these deep, exactly. deep concepts, and it's going to the right spot every single time. It is it is freaky to watch this. I uh, really my only comparison is is like, but the team was bad when this happened was Jordan with the Wizards <laughs> but it was like but yeah. he put up 20 a game but that's the same kind of thing like he is playing top of the line football right now those balls are coming out perfect going right to the right spot I mean I'll say it again this throw to Scotty Miller but even the one the short throw to Evans for the touchdown um you know he missed Gronk a little bit in the corner of the back but the ball is going again to the right spot and he's missing in the right direction you brought up the point that he's not putting the ball in harm's way as much as Jameis was or anybody in Arians offense like he only has a a dozen or so interceptions on the year and to be this aggressive and that's all the damage you've done. I mean, that's, it's so hard to stop. And if the run game is going to do enough, like they did last week and they did a bit today, it's like, that's, that's a talented team. And it's really, really, really tough to stop in the playoffs. It's a little thing, but the touchdown he threw to Fournette, I think is so telling. He goes low on pretty much all of those balls near the goal line over the middle of the field, Mm -hmm. even in the middle of the field in general he errs on the side of putting it down because he knows that if he misses high, that's how you throw interceptions. It's just little stuff like that where he's just so good at taking care of the ball. So obviously this is just one more step and one more brick in just this unbelievable edifice that Tom Brady has built in his entire career and the greatness that he has just displayed over and over and over again. On the flip side, this was probably, I think if you listen to most people, you know, Jake Glazer semi-reported it before the game, that this would be the last game that Drew Brees ever plays. And that's a sad, sad way for Drew Brees to go out. But I also think it's an important thing to step back and really consider what Drew Brees has been. And I know that they only won one Super Bowl in New Orleans, and I think that everyone is probably a little bit disappointed. We'll get to how all-in they were in a second. But I also think it's really incredible to just consider breadth of what they accomplished on there the fact that it was a top 10 offense essentially i think every single year but one by dvoa during drew Brees and sean payton stay down there and how consistently relevant he made them even when they had historically terrible defenses it's hard to overstate how impressive the job they did there was and when you talk to people around the league every year you know everyone does their offseason projects right where you go and you study yeah. these specific things. Everyone just treats studying the Saints with Peyton and Breeze as a given. They'll just, they'll, the tone they use with it is like, oh, I mean, of course I went back and I watched everything the Saints did because <laughs> yeah. that's what they are. And the fact that that era could be over and that era was so synonymous with excellent offensive football for so long, uh, it's a tough thing to stomach as both a football fan and I'm sure for a Saints fan, but it really does feel like we've reached the end of the road and the road was magnificent for almost the entire stretch. We, uh, when I was in college at Wisconsin, we watched Saints film every summer and, yeah. and the clip I still remember, and this is also speaks to kind of the evolution, the, op, the Peyton Breeze offense has gone through in this last decade plus is like originally it was so much heavy play action with deep overs. They had the era of Jimmy Graham there. And so they're isolating him and running him stuff where they go 12 personnel and put him in the slot and doing like uh, 
I, the play I call slant, uh, Saint, but it's, you know, a slug on one side and a seam. They're running stuff like that. And then now the curtain, and they always had angle routes. They, for some reason, Sean Payton always just can find the guys that can run choice routes. Gee, I wonder why. But, you know, they had <laughs> Sproles, and then they, you know, now they have Kamara, and they, I mean, they just get these guys for him, but it's just so cool seeing the different iterations of kind of the same offense, but different emphases every couple, a couple of years as the supporting cast changes. And I mean, the play I, I'll, I'll never forget, but this is how different these quarterbacks. And we look at even at you and I, and a lot of people probably listening have watched Drew Brees throughout his whole career. And you forget sometimes like what they used to be and when they're in their prime and there's a throw. I, I we watched the film at Wisconsin and Drew Brees is running a play action and he play fakes with his right hand. He puts the ball in his left hand and he wipes his right hand off as he's setting up the throw and then launches a bomb like 45 yards, like corner out for a touchdown. And I will, we laughed because we were like, is that actually, that just happened? And then he did it again later in the game and he like an over route on another play action where he took his hand off the ball, wiped his hand and then hit the back of his drop and threw it. And you forget, oh yeah, this guy just wasn't used to dink and dunk master. This guy was a master of everything. And yeah, he, he's a phenomenon. It, it was so much fun watching him and whatever the team, whatever the makeup was, him and Sean Payton put together these game plans and just these these efficiencies and explosiveness in different ways. And it was like you said, it was always concepts that everyone else watched because it was always just run so well. And Breeze was always going to be teach tape because the ball was always going to go to the right spot. And kind of stinks seeing them now i make jokes about it like hey it looks like you know the madden throw or you know just a, a lollipop throw out there but guess what he's still putting a lot of those throws on the money so it, it's kind of sad seeing maybe a, a chapter close and it, a chapter closes for the saints too i mean we've talked about it the entire year i mean this team was as all in as you can be you know i forgot that they traded away their third round pick i mean it's this team is has a limited amount of resources in pretty much every single way in ways that always sneak up on you. It's like, oh yeah, I forgot they traded away that pick for whatever reason this was. And that's what they've done. You know, that's what they've done consistently over the last five years. They've known this. They've known this was the window. This was their chance to really try to maximize this version of the roster while Breeze was still there. And they went mm -hmm. as far as you could possibly go in that direction. As things currently stand right now in this moment, this is with Breeze still on the roster. So with Breeze not on the roster, it goes down a little bit. But in 2021, if Breeze retires, they are currently ha set to have $263 million in total cap liabilities, which puts them $82 million over $175 million cap. You're going to have bad? to do some stuff with that. You're going to have to do some stuff with that. <laughs> they and, got Mickey I mean, math, man. They got Mickey math. That's They can and, do it however they want to. <laughs> and there aren't that many guys. Quan Alexander is going to, you know, that's an easy cut. There's no guaranteed money left on his deal. But outside of that, you know, Ryan Ramchek is somebody that has no guaranteed money left, but they want to keep him. They just signed Thomas and Kamara. And a lot of the guys on this team that are aging and could possibly be off the roster are really important players. You know, guys like Cameron Jordan, guys like Teron Armstead. Teron Armstead was an all pro tackle this year. Yeah. It, the guys that are expensive are guys that if you lose them, you are no longer the team that you were. And that is now the question that the Saints are going to be faced with. What does this post Breeze era look like? You know, Taysom Hill is sitting there with a $16.2 million cap it next year. I don't know what but, is going to happen. I don't know what should happen, but we have definitely not only closed the chapter, we have slammed the one shut and lit the book on fire. That's where we are with the New Orleans Saints. And we we got to see the Taysom Hill experience this year, and it it 
it was the same offense that the Bears ran with Trubisky. <laughs> so is that what he wants to build around? And that he's got maybe put his money where his mouth is because he, you know, hyped him up so much this offseason. So it, it's more of a uh, not even just a rebuild, but it's all could go down the path of a full nuke, like uh, of just what they have to do with everything. And it, it's crazy. It's just, you think and even you just lay, laying it out like that. It's not just the cap stuff. It's not just breeze retiring. I mean, that's a tough combination as it is, but it's just this hodge hodgepodge of parts. They kind of got an existential going. question. I yeah. mean, it's what do we want to be? It's what, yes, do, yes. what does the next version of the saints look like? And you know, they're in a tough position. If the cap doesn't go down, and if COVID never happens, and if the cap keeps rising by $10 million every single year, they would be not fine, but in a much better position than they are right now. You know, This was a team that I think when your owner is willing to spend to the cap and you have the cash on hand to keep giving out bonuses and keep kicking the financial can down the road, I think it was an inefficiency in terms of adding talent. And yeah. it was one they consistently exploited. Unfortunately for them, now they're in a spot where that inefficiency has vanished based on things that are completely out of their control. So it's a tough situation, but this is the one that they face. I mean, they have a hard, hard road and a lot of really difficult questions to answer. But I know for me as a football fan and as someone who has watched the NFL grow and change and evolve over the last decade, last decade and a half even, those Saints teams were at the forefront of that often. And it wasn't these crazy innovations, right? No. That's not what they did. It was all of these tiny little tweaks and let's do it from this formation and let's play with how many formations and personnel groupings we're using. Let's play with receiver splits. It just was the perfect way to understand quiet, subtle innovation. And that's exactly what they were on a consistent basis. And you know, we'll see if Sean Payton can keep it going. Yeah. All right, let's get to our next game here. Chiefs Browns 22-17 final. It's, it's hilarious how little that score and that sentence describes what happened during that game so obviously the headline here is Mahomes going out yeah after that happens you know it's that's going to be what people take away from this game but he went out in the middle of the third quarter and this was still you know, I think a nine point game when he left I think I want to say it was 19 to 10 when he got out of there and the Browns did a decent job, I think, of keeping this close for the most part. Obviously, there's that play at the end of the half with the fumble out of the back of the end zone. That's going to be a huge deal. But you know, this was a fairly close game for most of it. And then Mahomes gets hurt. So let's talk about how Andy Reid handles this at the end of the game, because I think that's the other headline here. The fourth and one play and them deciding to go for it. First of all, just the balls to do that. Yeah. And not only did he do that, but he went for it on fourth down a couple times in this game in semi-questionable moments. But I think it is so incredibly telling how calm and quiet they are, even with Mahomes out of the game, in some of these high leverage moments. And the fact that they're willing to say, we're going to end the game right here because we think we can. And I just think that that seems to permeate the entire roster in a way. And I think it really is a sign of a team that has seen all of this stuff before. They they marched last year. They finished the march last year. They did what everyone they made it to the mountaintop. Is <laughs> that that will give you confidence to run whatever the hell you want? But that's what's awesome about Andy Reid. For better or for worse, he's going to run his stuff. Like he, they put Henny in. It was fourth and inches near midfield. They went for it on fourth down. They got that was it. what I'm talking about. The fact that yeah, right that was right when Mahomes got hurt. Right away. So Mahomes gets hurt and it's fourth and inches. And it was right after the Browns had just marched down and scored a touchdown. Yep. 
And they went for it on fourth and inches at midfield rather than giving the Browns back the ball. And but they did the, that a that's couple the times. There's game. the fourth and inches one, and then there's the fourth and one one at the end. You know, so yeah. that's but yeah. that's how that's how like just Andy's gonna do his stuff. Like he he has just confidence in what they're running. And like after they even got the field goal, or um sorry, they kicked the field goal their next series. The Chiefs ran like a split zone RPO with a go to Hill, the one that uh, the Browns challenged, Stefanski challenged. Yeah. It's like he's still running it. It was split zone RPO, and it wasn't just a slant ones or uh, they'll run the, like a little stick one with it, you know, nice and safe, five, six yards. No, it was a go route to Hill. So it's like he's still coming at it. He's still passing the ball in a four man situation. They took a sack, but still, it's like, you know, like hell yeah, like let's do it. It was, it was kind of funny or like just off, like hearing Henny try to emulate like Mahomes' cadence. Like just going white, white, goal, goal, <laughs> and it, it, a false start happened on one because you you could tell the guard was just not used to. Yeah, not used and to he's it. Just a little, it's just so a funny. little. He was trying. He was. I, I I appreciated that. Like as a as a lifetime backup quarterback, I appreciate that. But like <laughs> just all these all these things that um that Reed does, man. Like uh, you know, he's not expecting. Of course, you know, Mahomes had the ankle, but you know, he's not expecting. Mahomes to get a, a a running bulldog on him, like a Chris Jericho running bulldog on him. So it was like such a strange play. play. Strange I mean, it was such play. a strange play. It's not because he didn't get hit head straight on. No. It wasn't the initial impact. And it, his head didn't hit the ground. So I think it was just the torque of yep. his neck the as he next fell. Be concussions was, too. Yeah. Yep. It, it was just it that, was a very strange play. I'm so glad he did not come back in that game or they didn't try to sell that to Correct. us. I it it's for better or for worse. I am so glad that we've reached a point where the discourse in a moment like that is all right, he should be done. And that is it's accepted and it's normal. And that's what football has reached, because I just think that remember when Jamal Adams or Jamal Adams, remember when Jamal Charles left that game because of a concussion several yeah. years ago in that playoff game against the Colts. And everyone was like, it's a playoff game. How could he yeah, leave he the game for a concussion? <laughs> and I think we've come so far after that, that now. It's just normal when Mahomes leaves the game after that. And I think that that's a really good, that's a step in the right direction, obviously. It is. And you could already see like, uh, like all those rules in high school and college, because it's even stricter in college with the head hunting and, and, you know, forcible head uh, contact. Like they, even a Scotty Miller throw, we get three matches of Scotty Miller on this podcast. Oh, there'll be five more by the time we're done. Yeah. On that one is, you know, they threw the flag and then they picked it up. So they're rounding up. They're saying, hey, even if it's ticky-tack or close, we're going to call it. But that stuff leads to the player's safety. And you can start to see the trickle effect of guys being more self-conscious about using their heads. And it's great to see it. Um, but it's 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 so – like even the the last the, – the fourth down play to win the game, like it was just a sprint out. But like this is what like Andy Reid does. Like he uh, – they're empty. And they bring the back – the back split out all the way weak. And they bring them at, back into the backfield. And rather than lining them up on the weak side, they bring them strong towards the three receiver side and they run the sprint out. So like on a normal play like that, like a sprint out, why that back strong being to the three receiver side is something to hide is because that's a giveaway for a sprint out um, or certain types of runs. And so having that little splashing the water, they're not doing a little short motion to the play side. They had it from, coming from the backside going all the way across. So, okay, a little bit of disguise there, especially in a high tense situation, but they just, everything's so lackadaisical. They're just like, oh yeah, we're just running a fake play here. Don't worry about it. Like soft That's cadence, like Henny's little fake, stupid cadence. He was just emulating. And then all that lackadaisical, all that like 
windows, uh, you know, water splashing onto the backside, bringing it here. The the Browns just kind of softened, and Tyreek Hill doesn't need much, and he got an extra inch there, and it was it was just all over. But it's just I just love that fortune favors the bold, and they they just played on football tropes there, and I, I love when guys play on football tropes, either like doing like a quick cadence when somebody's looking at the sideline, or just playing on substitutions. Like we'll talk about the Packers doing this later, but just I just love when teams do that, and Andy Reid does it all the time. I loved all the. Mo- I mean, that play was so funny because I can't remember if it was Romo or Nance. One of them was like, "Just look at the body language. They're not snapping yeah. the ball here." There's Romo. And the fact that they yeah. were playing it with it like that was just incredible. And obviously, the motion really helps there. And they knew that they were in man in part because of the motion that they used. Yep. So it's just little tiny things helping them out again in those high leverage moments. Similar, the couple different plays. The one of my favorites was the little uh, speed sweep they ran to Hardman. They did the same thing where they were playing with the yo-yo motion to get the linebackers moving. They got the ball on the edge. They do such a great job of figuring out how to get the ball horizontal by using those motions and using formation. It's just a consistent thing from the Chiefs. So speaking of player safety and speaking of rules, let's talk about that play at the end of the half for the for the Browns, the one that, that Sorensen where he hit uh, Higgins and, and fumbled. So first of all, the touchback rule is ridiculous. I mean, I'm oh, no. the 10 millionth person <laughs> to say this, but it just makes no sense there's so many ways you can handle this that would make it less punitive. And I think those should happen. Even if the ball comes out to the 10 and you lose a down or whatever, it just seems like there's a better way to do this. But I think the other side of that, and considering that they called it in the Saints game for leading with the crown of the helmet, I don't understand why that isn't reviewable. I don't think it should be challengeable. Because I think then you get into some flippant challenges and you're worried about flow of the game, everything else, and those are bang-bang plays. So I don't know if you should be able to challenge that as a personal foul, but if you're reviewing the play anyway and it's clear, isn't the goal of replay to get the call right even if it's not the specific thing that you're looking at in that moment? I just don't understand that. I don't think it should be challengeable, but I think it should be reviewable. If that and makes sense. Maybe that's yeah, a, a can of worms that they're not really willing to open. But the college Because I understand is. that that can be a slippery slope, but they do it yeah. in college. Yeah. I, I just feel like it should probably be reviewable. If you can do it. If between, not challengeable. If you can do it between Akron and Bowling, Bowling Green, you can do it in an NFL playoff game. <laughs> that's, I mean, you know, it's like they, they can handle it. You know, if you can handle it in a Mac game. I, I know we're talking about the player safety, though, but I, I, I want to talk about the Hardman back and forth motion again because like they had a passing playoff. They ran their... Fun little all go running back seam. They ran to the boundary, but on it, it's just they just hit a little swing uh, swing route to Hardman. Got like a fourteen yard gain on it, but on it what was so cool with the design was their formation was in the boundary. They ran the jet sweep motion with Hardman, and that that makes sense. They're making the formation balance as opposed to into the boundary with overloaded. But then you pause. The Browns defense flopped because they're in a spot drop zone and they had to put the nickel to the passing strength. So this was in 12 personnel and then the passing strength is considered the two receiver side. So the Browns defense completely flops over. And then as they're doing that, they run Hardman back on a jet motion coming the other way. And you can see the nickel on this play. Like just look at on YouTube or something. You can see the nickel on this play on the other side. He's in the field and you can see him going, oh no. Like, and he doesn't know what to do. He just drops in the hook and he has no, he's left by himself. So the Chiefs had four guys with three of them running vertical, I think on three defenders. <laughs> and, I, and, and Mahomes just real quick through through the swing. It was an easy first down, but it's just so funny because it's so funny when you can see a defense 
doesn't happen on offense so much. Sometimes you see the running back going like, I don't know who to pick up, but like a defender just going like, oh, we're in some shit right now. <laughs> like, and that's what that was. the That was the realization the Browns nickel had right there. Uh, but I, I, yeah, the, the, but going, going back, you know, the Andrew Reed stuff and it's just, it's so cool when he throws these wrinkles in there. I know we're talking about player safety, but I just want to just keep gushing about this stuff. And I also think that, you know, on the other side of the ball, I thought that the Browns offense played fairly well today. I actually yeah. thought Baker had some really nice throws in this game. Obviously, you know, if that Higgins touchdown stands, his line looks a lot different. If, you know, a couple different other things happen, but there were a couple, there was one really key play where Teller got called for a hold in the first half where they would have gotten down, I think, inside the 25. That comes back. This is a team that just has trouble playing that far behind the sticks. And I think you saw that a lot in this game. And then obviously at the end of the game, we could talk about even if their offense played well and the play calling was pretty decent for most of it. Situationally at the end, I think they had some issues. So the challenge you talked about from Stefanski came at 11.03 on that ball to Hill. I can understand challenging that. It happens right in front of you. His back was turned to you. It looks like he probably dropped it. You don't have the benefit of the five slow motion replays that we've just gotten to watch that hadn't happened by the time you have to throw it because they're playing fast. So you lose the timeout there, which is a problem. But still, I can understand Henny's in. You don't think they're going to be able to move the ball. And that chunk suddenly becomes really important because that's second and 10 they're behind the sticks, you can get the ball back there and potentially try to put this thing away. But losing that timeout ends up being a, a huge deal. And then eventually, they the Chiefs were moving the ball on that drive, and then Henny bailed them out on the interception. So then the Browns get the ball back. They get the ball back with about eight minutes left from their own 25-yard line. There was not enough urgency on that drive for me. There were letting 40 seconds essentially take off between plays. They had a first down run. They set up their last series set of downs. Chris Jones just blew it up. And then they absolutely blew it up. And then third down, he beats Teller right off the snap and forces Baker to check it down into the flat to hunt. And yep. they eventually punt on fourth and nine. Fourth and nine play. is tough. Yeah. I mean, that's one of those things where you're really hoping to, when you dump it off there to hunt, you pick up yeah. half of it. And you can maybe try to pick up the fourth down. Fourth and nine, I think, puts you in a slightly different, more difficult spot. He has to get the ball for the pressure because, yeah, it's like the defense can't sink. You get those checkdowns when the defense sinks, 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 sinks. Rogers hit one actually where he purposely did it, but it's he. There's no time to let him sink. He was that was a panic, almost hot throw. He's like, oh, screw that, because Chris Jones won so well. Sorry, yeah, keep going. But it was just like, but that's exactly that's, right. I mean, Chris Jones and that you don't want to throw the ball to Kareem Hunt there. No, you're, no. you're trying to push the ball downfield, and Jones Huge won play. instantly. And Huge I think play. that I want to point out that because you know, obviously, you know, we know the Chiefs' skill position players. We know that I mean, Hill and Kelsey both had eight catches for about 110 yards in this game. I want to talk about that in a second. But on defense, they had a couple guys. That were huge. They all, I thought their defense played well overall, especially against the run. I thought their guys in the front seven did a really good job against the Browns' offensive line. But a couple of different guys, Jones makes those plays, and he had a few just splash plays in this game. Matthew, same deal. He had a couple incredible plays against the run, stringing stuff out. And the interception, when you see that kind of pick, sometimes it can be a guy just being in the right place at the right time, where Baker doesn't see him, he throws it to him. They were running that coverage a ton today, which is like a cover two look where Matthew drops down as a robber in the middle of the field. So on that play, if you go back and watch the replay, 
He's doing that. He's just sitting there in the middle as kind of a floater. He carried the tight end vertically up the field, let him go, came down and floated there where Higgins was, read Baker's eyes and picked it off. It was an incredible play. I mean, that is just exactly why you have him in that space. But that's not a Baker threw it to him because he was standing there thing. That's him doing exactly what he needs to do in that moment. And that coverage all day was giving them trouble because they were trying to hit some of those play action shots. And the Chiefs were essentially saying, we're not going to let you beat us over the top in this game. We're going to sit back in that. We're going to have Mayfield sitting there or have Matthew sitting there to try to get one from you. And that's exactly what happened. And I also thought Ward was awesome. He made a couple really nice plays against the run. He's just a night. They really do have a few guys on that defense that one, two, three, five, six splash plays. That's all they need. And they have the talent on that side of the ball to do that now. They're willing to bleed a little bit to try and punch you back. Like they're willing. They're just willing to take those hits. Like they're just like, okay, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Like, yeah, you got us there. You got us there. But they're willing to bet that. One of their studs will win, be it you know Chris Jones, Frank Clark, Matthew, or that they'll just catch you in a blitz before you do enough damage, and that their offense will just keep tr- keep trickling points up the scoreboard, and they're just going to say, okay, by the time you finally figure us out, it's too late. Here comes all the blitzes that we want to throw at you. Uh, God, but also like on the flip side, like how good are is Nick Chubb and Kareem? <laughs> I mean, like, they're incredible. They, I had a couple. I, of Nick Chubb had a couple. Was, that oh. game scripts got away from them a little bit. Too late. I mean, That's those guys exactly combined it. for, I mean, they only had 19 runs combined, the yeah. two of them, and they averaged nine, 5.3 yards per carry. It's just because they had when- to. Yeah. When you go down two touchdowns at the beginning of the second half and you have to start throwing the ball around, that's a difficult spot for this team to be. And they still almost won this game. Obviously, Mahomes being out is a huge deal. Mm-hmm. So you said something earlier today that I wanted to touch on. You know, they were talking a lot on the broadcast, reasonably so about how the Chiefs do such a good job getting Tyreek Hill on those over routes, those deep over Mm -hmm. routes from the slot in those three-by-one sets. And Kelsey is a big reason why those can happen because he's a true number one receiver when he's lined up as a single receiver on the backside of those. So just talk me through how Kelsey sets uphill in those moments for you. So what the Chiefs have basically done is swap the tight end and the X receiver in their formation in their three by one formation. I uh, just the offenses I've been around, we call that one by three when the the tight end or nub, you'll hear it also called where the tight end is the lone receiver on one side and there's three receivers on the other side. But on it, because Kelsey is just a 260 pound X receiver, he can run everything. We saw a couple beautiful routes today, like one. Oh, we're going to talk about it in a second. Yeah. Oh my God, just gorgeous. But when you're tight end can legitimately do that it's unlocked so much so it's just putting guys good coaching putting guys in the right places to take advantage of their skill sets so in these one by three formations these nub formations first off it gives Mahomes the easiest run pad or uh, coverage read uh, indicator on the pre-snap zone uh, man match coverage read on the pre-snap but on it is so since Kelsey could be used as an X receiver essentially and you got Tyreek Hill you the Chiefs started running this more and more when they were facing like the Chargers twice a year. And even us, when I was with the Raiders, because we ran a little bit of single high, they were doing this to have Kelsey tie down and then Tyreek Hill going over the top. And if he doesn't go over the top, they also have a deep dig like Hardman or Watkins coming on the backside. All those times you see Mahomes kind of drifting and then hitting something crossbody over the middle of the field, it's usually Watkins or Hardman coming on a dig or something or an over. And on it is the tie down with Kelsey and then you just get Hill going over the top. And with and all those, if it's a match coverage, 
you have a corner on Kelsey. If he doesn't win, you high low it. You're creating a high low. And on those match coverages, the linebacker to safety has to turn and run with Tyreek Hill. And that's not very fun. If you watch the national championship game, you saw what happened when Devontae Smith got put on a linebacker, uh, tough Borland. And on that, it's the exact same premise. That's what the Chiefs do over and over. And since that's such a base concept for them, because that they run it several times a game, they'll just run variations of it. You saw Romo bring up the point that he uh, that he'll stop on one of them. They allow him to read on some of these if the if the yeah. defender the safety just catches him. That's the term because you like need to try to be beating him to the spot. And when you're overcompensating for that, you can just sit down. And that's the yep. thing. And is they all they have so many little tweaks, tiny wrinkles. Yep. To, help, to hurt you on this. So the biggest one is Wasp. Discuss. We saw it in the playoffs last year. The Wasp was the, is the tweak off yeah. of this concept because you got Kelsey exactly. up. Looks like he's running it over. Everyone's screaming to cover that over route and then he just turns it back the other way. That's what Wasp was. It was a play off these types of concepts. The touchdown that Kelsey scored, okay? I I'm, I'm, was looking for the dots replay on my computer. This is part of the challenge of doing this live. And I couldn't find it, but I, the way I'm seeing it right now is I think he was the single receiver backside in a three by one set. And I want to say it was some sort of zone coverage, but Ward is locked onto him because he's the single receiver there in that situation. So you have a top five pick who is a very good cover corner, a really good player on a 265 pound tight end in de facto man coverage. And Kelsey just leaves him in space. I mean, that is not a sitting in a zone. He happens to be the closest receiver sort of thing. That is a 260 pound guy breaking ankles against a corner that was good enough to be a top five pick and has played like it since he came into the league. Just toasting him. That was one of the more ridiculous things I can remember a tight end doing. That guy is on an entirely different level as a receiver. I bet you the, the Browns coaches were like, okay, we're okay over there. Uh, yes. Mahomes is probably going to go to the field. You know, probably work it over there. Oh, oh, uh, <laughs> not not expecting a double move. And then not only a double move, him just act, actually just breaking him off. It wasn't like he shoved him or anything. It was like a classic just broke him off with a crossover. It, it's it's not fair. It's not fair. And not only that, he catches it and then he finishes yes. and scores a touchdown it's on it. It's, it, yeah, I that's mean, a whole nother level. I mean, obviously, this is one of those things where I've said this a million times, but that moment is a perfect example and a perfect reminder of it. It's just the perfect convergence of talent and scheme and yeah. just understanding how to use these queens on the chessboard that they have and the ways they use Hill and Kelsey and Mahomes and not only the ways they use them, but the ways those uses complement one another. It's beautiful when it's all working in concert. And in those moments, that's where you see it. So the Chiefs get by without Mahomes in the third quarter and the fourth quarter of that game. We'll see what happens this week. I mean, I think that they're going to need him against the Bills. I mean, this Bills offense can absolutely go punch for punch mm-hmm. with this team and they're going to need Mahomes in this game. So, I mean, there are no guarantees when you think about the concussion protocol and everything else, but that's a conversation for later in the week. We can do a quick post-mortem on the Browns here. This season is house money. I mean, yeah. I think you have the coach of the year. Obviously, there were a couple moments today where you know he could have made some different decisions, but I think that what he's done for that team all season has been remarkable. I think that the what they've done with Baker Mayfield and the steps that he's taken offensively they're set you know this is a team that just drafted their left tackle in the first round this year Conklin they just signed to a contract you know Teller is going to be cheap for a little while longer they still have JC Treader 
We'll see what happens. I mean, Batonio is going to be there. Their offense, those pieces are all in place. We'll see what happens with Higgins. I believe he's a free agent. Uh, that's really the only piece they might lose, but they're getting back and back, getting Landry back. That's set. Defensively, there's some work to be done. So Sheldon Richardson has a big deal. I assume he won't be there next year just because of price. You know, we'll see what they happen. We'll see what they do to revamp the defensive line. The one spot that they desperately need to get better is linebacker. And I think that that was pretty obvious today. The Chiefs took advantage of BJ Goodson in space a couple times. Same with Taki Taki. There was that one, I think, really high leverage third and five where Kelsey just left him in space. And they just don't have guys in the middle of their defense that you really want to play with right now. And then we'll see what happens in the secondary. Obviously, Greedy Williams was hurt all season. Grant Delpit missed the entire year. So this is a defense that was banged up. They were healthier today than they've been for most of the season, and they still weren't close to 100% (laughs) when you thought about the guys they wanted to bring into the year. So I think the Browns fans have a lot to be excited about. I really do. Yeah. uh, This is such a positive year. Not only 10 wins, not only that, like I know they won more than that, but more than 10 wins, making the playoffs, winning a playoff game against your rival, like, like you said, houses money. And yeah, the linebacker stuff is is really needed. Like props to Chad, Chad Henney for like pulling out the win and everything and the whole chiefs team. But like even it's the, the long uh, conversion to, um, oh shoot, to the running back though, but it was out, out into the flat and Henny found him on the backside. The linebacker, it was man coverage. They dropped eight and he just lost the running back. That was his assignment. And it's like on a play like that, that's so huge. And you need, that's where the good players need to step up. And when you have a poor player there, it just looks even worse. Um, Teams yeah, have been it, going to that so consistently where they're running off coverage on that side floating the line, the running back out into space there into the flat and just hitting him and trying to say, all right, 10 yards to go. We're giving you four yards short of the sticks. You make this happen. The Bucks did it today too. We've seen that yeah. all season. The Colts have done a great job of doing that this year where they'll clear out that side and just have the running back spill out into the flat. They'll hit it to him. It's like, all right, make a play in space. And that yeah. was that play. And that's happened all the time this year. Sometimes so, it's the best yeah. matchup you have in, in space is yeah. you're running back on a, some stiff linebacker. Like that is one of the best matchups on the field. Like I know for years, the the one of the best plays the Vikings had for my dad under my dad's teams where they run four verts for Kelly Cam and Randy Moss, and they would just run a check down to Moelle Moore on Ontario Smith or Mo Williams or something. And that he would just take a run for 20 yard game. Mo like, Moore. I love him. One of my favorite football players ever. <laughs> like, wasn't period. sure we've been but. mentioning Moeldy Moore on this show. I knew we'd get five Scotty Miller mentions in, but I didn't know we'd get to Moeldy Moore. Let's get to yesterday's games. 17-13 Bills. Another disappointing exit for the Ravens. You and I were talking about this before we started recording. It feels like this game was completely out of reach the entire time for Baltimore, but until that pick six happens, they're in this game, mostly mm-hmm. because their defense was playing fantastic. You know, they were really able to kind of go toe to toe with that Bill's passing game because they could play with them in man coverage. And we thought that might be the case coming into this game. You know, the Bills hadn't played against a team with this collection of corners. Obviously, they played against Miami earlier in the season and torched them, but Byron Jones went out early in that game. So they haven't played a team with three legitimate cornerbacks like this team has. And the Ravens were able to kind of keep pace with them on that side of the ball, but eventually. That pick six ends up being a backbreaker, changes the entire complexion of the game. Lamar has to come out. So, but if you're looking at offensive, what I guess let's start here. What element of this Bills team yesterday jumped out to you the most? Because I think obviously we knew the offense was great, but the defense ended up playing a really good game against Lamar Jackson and this Ravens offense. I would say that's more 
impressive. The Bills have done enough on offense. I'm not worried about them. And Dable does enough where he changes up the game plan and what they run. It was pretty crazy that they started with 19 passes and start the game with 30 mile an hour I want to talk about that, though. I'm fine. I want to talk about that. Go for it. Because it's not as if they were throwing the ball 30 yards downfield all the time. They had a a third down clear out play out of an empty set to Devin Singletary. They tried to run a couple screens. I mean, they're just using their passing game as an extension of their running game. I don't... And they, they, I don't, they had to. I don't realize why it's such a big deal that they decided to throw the ball that much. When your passing game is a ball control passing game in the right moments, it's okay to throw the ball that much. Yeah, it's the original pass to replace the run. Uh, yeah, and especially the Bills, you know, they couldn't hit anything over the top, even with Allen's arm, because the wind was so crazy. And I think the Ravens knew that. So they're like, okay, we can be aggressive. And that's, you know, just these ebbs and flows that one thing leads to another. But like, Dable just did, they did these. Bills just said some cool little fun man beaters. Nothing like totally crazy, but right off the bat, they ran like a mirrored whip route. They hit digs on a dig or an over, you know, something. They do that it. all the time out of empty. They run those two and, little whips inside against man oh. cover. It's one of my favorite plays because you get Diggs and Beasley running whips, two guys that are insanely good in space like that. And that's a matchup for them that they can win consistently. And that's a counter. That's a play. That's they ran a against the Cardinals. Of- it's off a of mesh. Like that looks like mesh. It looks like crossers with a dig behind it. And that's all they're doing. They're going, nope. Instead of we're making it look, we actually call that play Moses uh, when I was at Wisconsin. That exact play, we call it Moses. Because it, it, part, it part, parts like the Red Sea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we call really it Moses. Funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So sorry, coach. But it, you know, they ran that and they, you know, he doesn't listen. But <laughs> they had another play where, uh, you know, they motioned. Um, they motion digs in and and the Ravens, I, I tweeted this clip, you can see the Ravens, they give a top hat coverage. And then that defenses and man coverage have different checks, just like an offense does. Every defense has checks versus formations. They, you know, there's about three or four variations you can drop anyone's three or four. I know one of them is called top hat. And in that is the corner that's on the press or on the, the stack point man. He's pressed up on him. He actually has man coverage with the guy that's off the ball. So on this play, it was the first play of the third quarter, actually, coming out of the half. Uh, Allen, it's first and 10, hits Allen on, uh, or Allen hits John Brown on a corner route with the Bills ran there. Beautiful throw, by the way. Beautiful throw. In the, in the wind, he yeah. cut right through it. That's, that's where arm strength comes in. Is In the NFL, you have to worry about weather, like you do. I know there's a lot of games in domes and stuff, but like, hey, you're playing football in December, January, and it's not like the bowl game is always going to be in Miami and Tampa and California and stuff like in Texas, you have to worry about whether that's where arm strength comes through is because you cut through that shit. But so they motioned the stack on this and it was just great opponent scouting is they knew that they're going to run top hat. Every team usually has one check that they run with see the signal. They run double outs with Diggs and Brown, beautiful throw hits it. Just all these man coverage stuff. They in the second half too. they hit a third and one. It was a zone read RPO knocks on the play releases inside on his flat as opposed to sprinting if he sprinted straight last week we talked about rpos and you're asking like hey why is it maybe not so great against man coverage if it was man coverage on the play if dawson dawson knox runs straight to the flat the safety is just going to run right with him knox uh, releases inside so what does the safety do he looks to see what the run play is because he's like oh my assignment's going inside he looks like he's the rpo where he top where he pumped where he uh, topped over the top well he blocked didn't he he went no, into block just, for a second. All he did. All oh, he, he did didn't. Was, he just stepped he, that, inside. Okay. But that's but that's just because he didn't have to fake that he blocking. His release is all the tell that I gave because it's such a it's a third and one. It's a you know, bang, bang play. So the safety looks inside, and then all of a sudden I think he sees Allen getting ready to throw and he looks back and like on the play, Diggs is meant to block him like almost like a you know, picket fence. And it didn't even need it need to happen because the safety was just dead in the water. And 
you know, they ran like a four strong sail concept where like with the motion, it was a three by one formation, the back speed motions. And because they're in man, the Ravens were uh, running a pressure here. It was man coverage though. It creates just a natural pick and Diggs used it and just runs a little sail route and he's wide open against outside leverage. And it's like, oh my God, they're just, they just threw all the good man stuff out there. And the O-line was blocking so well, they can run a five-man concept or five-man protect, five protection with a concept like sail, which is usually a six-man protection concept. It's, you know, when you're that confident, you're doing that in the wind and you're just putting these 15, 18-yard throws out there. I know you're saying like, hey, yeah, it's a safer throws of those first 19 passes they still push shit down the field and it's pretty impressive to see a team do that against a team that's just saying hey we're running man coverage and we're sitting on everything and the bills still found ways to create you know explosive plays in the passing game in a shitty situation with weather i mean that's that's really cool stuff i mean they they only scored 10 points offensively i mean i would think that the that all that stuff is completely true, and they did a great job of just setting up that man beating stuff i also thought that Diggs had a couple of ridiculous plays in this game he his ability to push vertically and come back and just leave guys is insane. It doesn't matter who it is. It could be Marlon Humphrey, and it was a couple times in this game. I said this earlier today. He leads the league in plays where he catches the ball in the TV copy, and you're like, who, where's the guy guarding him? Like, yeah. Where is he possibly? Because you can't see him because he's pushed so far up the field, and Diggs has left him with like five yards of separation. That guy is a superstar. Like That trade is was a transformative move. It's unbelievable what he has given them and just how good he is in this role. But the defense is yeah. absolutely what stuck out the most. Yep. Leslie Frazier and what they did and the way that those guys played on that side of the ball was incredible. So I Great wasn't job. sure coming into this game and even I think Larry or I was going to say Larry Hughes. <laughs> speaking of the speaking of the Washington Wizards, second time I mentioned them on the podcast today. So uh Jerry Hughes said earlier this week that they were going to do something different against Lamar this week, this time around. They really didn't. I no. mean, especially the way they lined up their base defense, they lined up with a four-man front with three yeah. linebackers for most of this game. And it worked. It was The linebackers were playing really far off the ball, I assume, in order to kind of sift through the trash a little bit. I think that might have been a little bit of an adjustment. But they lined up in a 4-3 defense for most of this game. They did bring more pressure. But outside of the pressure looks... I think the biggest thing they did in this game was play really physical up front and get some really nice plays from their defensive backs in both run support and in space outside the numbers on some of those RPOs. I thought that Trey White had a few really nice plays yep. in this game. Taron Johnson, a few really nice plays. They did that stuff consistently where their guys were making plays in space and playing physical and tackling just really nuts and bolts type stuff that you needed to do against a team that was going to have to run the ball and string plays together. And the Ravens just weren't able to do that. And so I, I wanted to, I, when I was rewatching this, it was something that last week we were watching the Titans. They ran, they run almost like a three, three stack against the Ravens because they want so many guys off the ball and they're running an odd front with a head up, head up nose, or maybe a little shaded, but basically a three down front, three man front. And, Something kind of obvious I didn't even think about was the Bills are a four down front and they like to almost be old school four three stack where they're all like you said, all three guys are off the ball. That is a natural Their base counter. defense. They run a That's four two five nickel more than any team in the NFL. They essentially and flipped out the nickel corner this week for a third line. That's right. what they did. And it was old school four three. It's like what you picture four three. That's what they're running. And you that's a great point. They always they always have their mic 
about two yards deeper. That, that is that is something to do because sometimes I think it's because of the too high stuff. They want to run. They want to give them an advantage to make the the run pass read, give them an extra yard to kind of work with. Um, I know kind of a lot of too high defense would prefer that, but. The Ravens were killing teams with the the counter, especially the GT counter. We have talked about yep. about three weeks in a row now, and the Ravens had to make an adjustment on it because that that how they want to run it with pulling both the guard and the tackle. That's you only can really do that against a three man front. You can do it against four, but it's better against a three man front just because of the angles. Otherwise, you leave a guy on block that yada yada. This week, the Ravens had to change that and they had to pull the center and the tackle. And it became like a counter trap. So the center was kicking out the end and then the tackle was pulling up. But because that's just that little difference, it was hitting differently than how we have been seeing it. So they weren't getting these edge plays that we were seeing. It was more up the shoot. It was more B gap-ish as opposed to C gap-ish. And it was something kind of obvious. I was rewatching it. I was like, man, I didn't even think about that. Like they're going to have to change what play they run because they're not facing the three down fronts that a lot of teams use. They use kind of like hybrid fronts now. Old school four three stack. It was a it's a natural deterrent to that run game. Even though the Ravens did some stuff on offense, um, but also the pick six. We talk man coverages. We talk match coverages all the time. That was like just an old school red zone spot drop coverage, and red eight was most likely what the call was. And you don't really with match coverages. Man makes sense. The guy's gonna be locked on his man. Everyone's gonna run with it. Match coverages. These guys have to play rules and they have rules in their heads, so they're really looking at the, maybe the two uh, receivers there in front of them going like, all right, how's, how am I passing this off? How am I passing this off? Spot drop, these guys can keep eyes on the quarterback and really just how the ebbs and flow of the, of the play is going. And it's a tight zone anyway, so you can get away with not having to pass everything off. So everybody has eyes on the quarterback, and the Bills do this so well, and they just just confound on the ball. Like they it just everybody was on the ball, and that's how you know generate the pick and everything. But it was just kind of cool. We talk match all the time. That's really what most teams run. Seeing an old school spot drop coverage turn into a p- huge pick six for the Bills. Just kind of funny. Like there's always a tool in the toolbox for these teams, and you just have to if you have the right one at the right time, it can turn into a great play like this. Especially everyone's so well coached, like the Bills are, and they just keep improving. This defense has really picked it up since their bye week. Here's another week where they just look great. I, all the a ton of credit to the Bills defense. And I think they had a really nice plan. They mixed it up enough. You know, they blitzed more than they typically would. They had a couple seven man pressures in this game, which is like Jesus. <laughs> you don't see that very often where guys are bringing seven guys, and they did that. They a lot of defensive black back blitzes in this game. I assume yep. there were certain things that were triggered. Triggered. Remember Levi Wallace coming down after Jet went away from him or to him. I can't remember now, but it seemed like he was reading what was happening, and that was just a call. Yeah, and they were doing that several times, and I think that Johnson had a similar one where he came off the edge. Hyde had one where he came off the edge. They were really just kind of heating up the pocket, and I honestly think that was the way to play against this team because they forced the Ravens into a lot of down, kind of negative down distances they don't want to be in, and they forced them into being a drop back team. And I think that version of the Ravens' offense, you really saw the cracks beyond yeah. the snaps which is an entirely different conversation. I mean, that was a really big deal in this game, how much they were getting behind the sticks because the center couldn't snap the ball to the quarterback. But even beyond that, the offensive line was a problem in this game. I mean, you saw Jerry Hughes take advantage of, there's Tyree Phillips or GJ Fluker, they were rotating at right tackle, whoever was in there. Ben Powers had a rough, rough day. Both as a run blocker and as a pass blocker. I mean, that's what you saw. You had a lot of inexperienced linemen playing for the Ravens in the second half of the season. They'd made it work. 
because of how much they were setting things up with scheme, how much they were running the ball, the angles they were creating in the run game. But when you have to play as a drop back passing team, and you have a bunch of offensive linemen that have never really played in the NFL before at a high level, and especially in a playoff game against a guy like Jerry Hughes or Quentin Jefferson, who had a decent game, they were outmanned. And the Bills were getting pressure consistently because the Ravens were having to play a style of football they don't like to play. I mean, all the Ravens' best plays, pass plays, were Lamar go do something. <laughs> yep. It's, I mean, holy shit. Greg Roman has zero passing concepts. Like, concepts. It's like a couple of four by one empty stuff. Like he, everything's so static, which is just so weird. I feel like they would want to put everybody on the move because Lamar's going to extend plays once he's off his first read. So might as well just create a natural scramble drill for him. Like they even had a play like in the second half. It, it was a switch verticals concept. And they end up running like a six-man slide protection with it. And so they run a switch verticals. And, of course, Hollywood Brown on it settles. So they just like everything static in this offense. And so they have no controller underneath. This is the same shit that I got, I got mad about at Cliff Kingsbury doing to Kyler. You're making all these shot plays for him. And then you put nothing underneath for him to work with. And it's it, it, you don't get the pull that you need. Because then the defender that's underneath can just run with the deep route. They don't have anything that's threatening them underneath. And it, that's not good. It's, it's 2021 now. <laughs> it's like, you know, this is stuff that you should have in your in, in your toolbox to, to, to call. So that play becomes just a three-man concept for them. And it just turns into bad stuff. Like they need, like they should just watch the 2012 Redskins and just watch RG3, like, and just what they did there. Like, I mean, I think Lamar can easily do exactly that. Not everything, obviously, but just some stuff out of shotgun split zone or uh, split backs and running some of that zone read stuff that, you know, Shanahan was doing that unleashed on the league that year. But I mean, they need, they need something because that stuff was simpler. And Lamar, I think, can handle some concepts. I get what they're doing. They want to lean into the run game and and really build around that. But now every one of these losses, we have said the exact same thing, haven't we? It was just, oh, wow. I don't know. They can't pass the ball. They can't drop back. And now we're on two seasons of it. And it's like, all right, got to really have some self-scout evaluation period this offseason because that is stuff that it's like you can't keep losing games this way. You have to have at least something in your back pocket. Like you just have to. It's something they need to work on. I, I mean, or make a change. But it's just one of those things where it's just it just doesn't look pretty. It's not easy. It's not making it easy for Lamar other than him being Lamar and creating things. And it's just it's just not fun to watch at times. So obviously you get Ronnie Stanley back next year, which is going to be huge for them. Again, just kind of locking that down. You move Orlando Brown back to right tackle. So your tackle problems are solved. We'll see what happens in the interior of the offensive line. I think that the the other thing they need desperately is just another receiving option. I mean, this is just a team that uh, Willie Sneed is their most reliable. Let's get open in a high leverage third and seven moment on this entire team. And that's just not going to happen. You know, Marquise Brown, I think had a couple nice plays in this game where he came back to the ball a couple times, made a couple in traffic, physical catches. We didn't normally see from him, but they need a real receiver that can Mm -hmm. get open in space and make some plays. That is their number one thing they need to address this offseason. I think on that offense, because the tackles are going to be okay. So, I mean, it's just so obvious that their drop back game and their personnel and, need some and significant maybe, tweaks. Maybe a crowd noise for once got got to the to the Ravens O line. I mean, I th- I actually yeah. think some of that. I mean, that was like the first time I've really felt crowd noise in weeks and weeks and weeks, and it makes sense. Bills hosting it, you know, they had those wagons circled. So it's, but it's you know, it's just one of those I, that could be it too. People are human, and it's a high stress situation. Like you said, those are inexperienced guys all of a sudden in a pretty stressful situation uh being asked to do that and you know stuff happens people are human uh but yeah it, it's 
curious to see with the Ravens. I, I you know, it's I'm glad Ronnie Stanley got that extension too before that that injury happened. Like just like one of those times it worked out finally for a guy. You know, what I mean, just for a bad luck strikes and getting getting away with well, it. Bakhtiari was the same way. I mean, both yep. the two of the arguably the best left tackles in the league got paid before they missed the playoffs. So with the Ravens, do you, do you think they need to kind of start over here offensively? I mean, would you? Do you think that there are tweaks that can happen with Roman that could take them where they need to go? Or do you think that the kind of middle period where they figured out what they were offensively with Roman, what he did for the run game and everything else, that version of it has stalled out and it's time to figure out where we could find some other answers? They need to do the classic passing game coordinator like role. Like sure. they need a guy that just handles the passing. It's a good game. Call. Roman's run stuff's good. And I, it's just that he had Harbaugh in San Fran. You know, that at least gave him some passing game second set of eyes you know and i that's what he needs he just needs something if it's that guy's just just that's just his title or if he's a receiver coach or a quarterback coach and passing game corner something but i think david if they Culley right now is technically their passing game coordinator okay <laughs> so they well, have one okay well is it yeah is it what roman wants <laughs> you know you need somebody that maybe just you know you'll sprinkle in something a little bit new because what they're doing is not it's not good it, it was it was some of it's cute but it, it's just not going to consistently get it done and i feel like this is the fifth time i've said that this year <laughs> said it last year i'm going to say it again this year it's just the exact same shit and it's definition of crazy uh but yeah if they don't want to make a change there that's what i think is the best way they have to get a new set of eyes just for the passing game i think the run game they have it figured out they've made enough they make enough adjustments that i never think that's ever going to be an issue for them and i think the defense is pretty damn good and so i think that's the one one big tweak they'll have to make and finding that ball winner you know they're gonna go they should go after receiver i love <laughs> screw route running just win those 50 50 balls baby <laughs> that's what i think that's they what they after. need though i mean I, you said godwin back when and they may not have the money for it but he is like the exact type of guy that could just be huge for them yeah. he's just supercharged willie sneed that's what he is yeah like chris godwin is the best possible version of willie sneed's career like that, yeah. it's just that's exact type of player operates I think from the inside and can play outside if he needs to. Yep, he's the perfect guy for him. All right, let's get to the game that I was at on Saturday: Packers Rams, Packers thirty two eighteen. I can't say enough about the performance that the Packers offense put together. Bravo! I mean, we've talked so much on the show about. The Rams defense and Brandon Staley and everything that they do, obviously losing Donald, losing Donald in full at full strength is huge for this defense. They rely on him so much to kind of change the math. Rodgers was clean the entire game, I think, in part because Donald wasn't on the field. That absolutely played a role here. But I also think that if you watch the game plan the Packers had against this defense, it was perfect. LaFleur and Rodgers were pulling every single right lever at every single right moment for the entire game. So the first play of the game, I want to point this out. So the first play of the game, they come out in a three by one, those nub set you were talking about. The tight end is the single guy on the right. It was Mercedes Lewis in line and they had Adams in the slot and they had Adams motion out of the slot to the right side and they ran a little quick out to him. And they were just seeing how the Rams would respond when they were in that formation and they had Adams in that spot. And Troy Reader, excuse me, this was the first time they did this. Troy Reader followed him into the slot. So Reader left the middle of the field so there was no one in the middle of the field. They did everything they did on that first drive. All teams do this, but I thought the Packers were extremely efficient at it. Everything they did 
in their first 15 was designed to extract information for how they would be able to set stuff up later. And I just thought that, again, the buttons they were pressing and the ways that they were getting that information to use it later in the game, it was just masterful. I mean, we said coming into this game, they were going to need to take the cheapy plays because those are the ones that were there. And Rodgers is the perfect guy to do that. I mean, he averaged 3.5 air yards per attempt in the first half, and they looked unstoppable. That's so incredibly hard to do. And I just think that there are so few teams that could thread that needle in the way that the Packers did yesterday. Not once, even with that three and a half yards, you know, that stat, the three and a half yard stat, it's not once where it's like, man, Rodgers just dinking and dunking. It was like, no, yep. my God, they are marching on him. Like, so that that's how it shows how productive these plays were. Like you said, early and on, or, or early and off in the first 15 plays, they were poking and probing, f- figuring out what they, I mean, they went tempo, which I mean, you could tell every aspect of this game plan was thought out. They started to see that Aaron Donald was getting rotated. They went tempo. And if, because the team has to sub a lot, that's how you catch them. So they're just catching them in these situations. They ran it twice in the first first drive, and it was just it was just beautiful. And not even the pass game. And there's a couple of plays I want to talk about. I can't wait. Uh, but there's a couple run like run plays, just simple. They were they were going split backs, either twenty personnel or twenty one personnel, but split backs, three wides, and they'd run the the little orbit motion, and they just run a simple zone uh, to to the running back. And they, they were doing it all the, the time. They had Jones four times, motion out probably. and they would run and they would run Dylan back into it. I also think that they were using that exact formation. So shotgun with split backs yeah. and they were motioning one of the guys out. They were doing that also just to vacate the middle of the field. I want to say that was the slant to Devante was out of that formation with Jones coming back across so they could create more space over there. It's like you've fallen into my trap. Uh, it's, it's this is exactly what I was about to talk about. This is no, that's exactly it. It was they're setting it up, setting it up, and the runs were working. I think they hit it like four of them. We saw last week. We talked about. We said Schottenheimer and the Seahawks. They're what they were trying to do to beat these match coverages wasn't bad. Like they were doing speed motions. They were trying to overload stuff. The ball just maybe wasn't finding the right guy, or the guys were just getting locked up. Uh, when you same exact thing, they Packers ran similar concepts. Uh, they ran a shit ton of four by one. I mean, so many times. But on it, you have Devontae Adams beating Jalen Ramsey one on one, breaking him off. Like that's a big advantage. And the ball was going there. Like Rodgers wasn't scared to take that man matchup. Where as opposed to maybe I wouldn't say Russell was scared about it, but it was maybe not looking to it or just he just gets so befuddled as soon as like it just didn't look spaced out as it did in practice. Like, and th- these are little tweaks like they did. Like, I mean, not only just the man beating speed motion touchdown that they had to Adams, like just a simple play. Like if you watch it, MVS had a play, I would say about 14, 15 yard gain. It was past, it was about the 40 yard line. Uh, they ran like a return crosser with him. And on that play, it was a switch verticals concept with, with speed motion, another match beater. I've seen this play. We ran it a ton of it with the Raiders. Love it. We call it swipe. It, it's just kind of like the all-go RB scene, but it's a it's a two-by-two two version. So you have the switch verticals and you have a swing route. So they run it. We've seen the Packers run this. And on it, as opposed to MVS, what I've run it before is either mirrored or you have like kind of like a, a now route that is your hot throw that you can also hit against cover two. I'm getting way too in deep to it, but whatever. And on it, <laughs> so on it, but what the Packers do, uh, on this plate, I haven't seen this tweak and I loved it was MVS runs the crosser, which is still the hot read. If you need it, I, I, I'm just guessing how they read this. Rogers ran, uh, read the switch vertical side, didn't have anything. He came back and because they returned the crosser route back to the field, 
it timed up so well on this. So Roger was able to, they made this play, what I've only seen as a half field read, really. They made it into a full concept read or a full progression read. And they hit MVS, goes like a 15-yard gain. I haven't seen that tweak. And I know it's not, it's not, it doesn't sound crazy or anything like that, but that's really cool. And they had, they have the faith in their old line to keep winning. And when Aaron Donald is not in there, he's only playing, what, 54% of his snaps? Like they were able to get to this stuff. And that's, that's the dynamics that they were able to bring. Just stuff like that's so, so cool. Like, I mean, that is just not something that you see every day. You see that play, the ball getting out quick or someone just throwing to a swing right away. But nope, Rogers hung in there, read it out, and turns into an explosive play. But that's what they did all day. The way the Rams defense was put together is to limit explosive plays. That's yep. what they've done. They lim- they had they had allowed one 50-yard play the entire season before this game. They allowed three in this game against the Packers. But beyond the 50-yard plays, it's not the 50-yard plays. It's the six-yard plays and the seven-yard plays. And Rodgers is both patient enough to consistently take those, and he has the ability to make the right choices when there's a 50-50 situation. If you're going to sit there and have one more guy in the box than you need to, he's going to throw that alert on the RPO to the outside. If you're not, he's going to run it. And Matt LaFleur said this after the game, and I think that it's something overlooked with quarterbacks in general, but especially in this moment, is how important it is to have a quarterback that puts you in the right situations all the time and that knows the offense inside and out. It knows every single wrinkle and every single layer. And that's what Rodgers was in this game. He was willing to just take what was there the entire game. And if you're willing to do that, the offense always is going to have an advantage. You always need the offense to make a mistake if you were the defense. And he's just not going to make a mistake. There are no negative plays with this team or very few compared to other teams. You have a quarterback that is going to play a mistake. for He didn't get sacked and they had very few tackles for loss in this game. I I think most of the stuff that they had was a penalty. And so they had three plays in this game of third and seven or more. Three. And they were eight of 12 on third down. The three, one of them was the the St. Brown tempo play that they had a completion on. The other two... The Rams finally were able to get in some of these pressure looks and heat up the pocket, but they weren't able to do that the entire game because they were never in third and seven or more. So they can't play like that. And that's exactly what this game was. So two of the plays where they were a little bit behind the sticks. One was that slant to Devontae on a second and 14 that was just disgusting. I mean, it's just the release is unbelievable. That's why he's great. He was almost like a breaking case of emergency player in this game. And that was a breaking case of emergency. And he made it happen. Another one was down, it was like a second and 17 when they were down in the shadow of their own goalpost. So the Rams had a chance to get in one of those pressure looks again. They ran mirrored stunts on both sides and Jenkins and Lisley just did an amazing job picking it up. And that's the thing is even in those moments where they're in a, not in an advantageous spot and they have to be pressing a little bit, they have the offensive line to hold up, especially when Aaron Donald is out of the game. And it was just a remarkable job. I want to talk about the run game just very briefly here because I thought that the Rams game plan was interesting because obviously this is a team that is based in zone runs, you know, similar to the things we see the Niners do, all of that stuff. So the Rams came out and they were running a lot of five-man front in this game with Reader as the only second-level defender. And the Packers responded by just running downhill at them over and over and over again. If you look at that first play of the second half where Jones had that 60-yard run, what happens is they have Reader as the only second-level defender, and they actually motioned him out, like we talked about, 
with Adams in the slot. So there was no one there. And at the snap, Johnson has to come down from his safety spot and fit the run. And Lindsley just got up on him and there was no one there. So they were spread out five across in order to limit them being able to hit the edge. So the Packers just said, screw it. We're just going to run downhill at you the entire second half. And that's what they did. And then in the moments where they'd run a four-man front and have that head-up tackle that they always have as the end guy in the line of scrimmage, the Packers were just running this little counterplay right to the outside where they would wash it down. Wash so it down. every single yep. thing they wanted to do, the Packers had an answer for it the entire game. And then the final extension of all of this, when we're hitting you with all these downhill runs over and over and over again, and now you're saying, God damn it, they're going to hit another one of these on us. I think Jamal Williams had an 11-yard run in the second half. That's where, like we talked about last week, you start creeping down, creeping down, creeping down. Yep. And on the Lazard touchdown, there it is. Johnson is all the way down in the box, and Fuller is two yards further up than he should have been because it's a play action throw. Fleur said after the game, we were essentially just running the same running play over and over again. And that's the play action shot off of it. They had tried to run earlier in the game, but they wanted it against quarters. Mm-hmm. And they had gotten to want a single high look. But the touchdown to Lazard, it's quarters, Fuller steps down, Hill's got his eyes in the backfield, easy. And yep. that's it. When you're willing to take those six-yard gains over and over again, and you're willing to commit to the running game, and you start gashing them, it's human nature. Eventually, we thought this. Whoever blinked first was going to be in trouble. And the Rams ended up blinking first because the Packers were moving the ball consistently enough with the, this death-by-a-thousand-paper-cut sort of offense. They got <laughs> impatient. And Rodgers ends up hitting him over the top. He missed a couple earlier in the game in the second half. Similar reasons. They're, they're double move to MVS. They're just starting to sit on stuff because they're tired of watching guys catch balls six yards in front of them. That's exactly what happened. And it was just such an incredible cat and mouse game back and forth. I think no differently of Brandon Staley or Jalen Ramsey or anything on that defense. I just thought this was the perfect game plan and the perfect execution from a Packers offense that was better set up than anyone else to attack this defense in the few weak points that it has. Yeah, it's the cliche, the run set up the pass. But like you said, that's such great. That was a great process of what what the coaches think. It's like they they have these plays in their back pocket the whole game. And then they're like, okay, now, oh, okay. That's why they have the Microsoft Surface tablets. Uh, I'll get the sponsorship there. That's why they have the tablets and they look at them and in between series. And they're like, okay, the last time we ran this, that safety was at seven yards, guys. Okay. Hey, we got a shot dialed up. Hey, hey, remember, hey, everyone got, hey, you're running on that. Like you coach it up on the sidelines or, you know, a little communication. Sometimes you don't want to jinx it. You don't say shit, <laughs> but you know, you're talking to these guys, but when the runs aren't zero yards, two yards, like they have been for the Rams. And like you said, they're six, seven, eight. That gets annoying when all of a sudden it's, it keeps being second and two. That's annoying for a defense. And that's, that's what happens. Like you said, it's human nature that these guys, we talked way early in the season where uh, it was a Titans Vikings game. And we said, you know, why, why isn't that guy cheating in the box to try and help the run, you know, or why is he not like playing out to the flat right there? It's because probably the last time he had the run, it was because Derrick Henry probably need him in the face. And then the guy didn't like that. So next time he's going to make sure that he's going to try and, really fit up the run this time that's why the play action works for them same thing it's just human nature and that's in a quarter's coverage is that's the strain that gets put on those safeties that's why those guys have to usually be very intelligent they also have to be physical to fit up the run is because they have to play both they have to be the plus force defender in the run game they also have to play the fast or play the pass and be you know the quarter's defenders 
when all of a sudden those runs become six, seven, eight, nine yards, and they're getting, like you said, Lindsley is freaking climbing up to him at seven yards. Like, I mean, that you don't see that. You don't see the center climbing to a safety. And the fact that the Packers did that over and over, they were catching him even when the Rams one one time early were trying to bring maybe a, more of a pressure look on a rundown. Even the zone run that the Packers ran was it just blocked it to the hill and Jones hit the cutback and it went for like a 12 yard gain. And, you know, we got to see some duo. The Packers were willing to run duo. Like they just run everything so well. It's, I love offenses like this. They don't have, this is my concept. This is what we do. Uh, you know, the Rogers has his stuff, of course, but it's like, they're like, Hey, that's a cool concept. Let's run that. Hey, that's a cool concept. Let's run that. And they make it theirs. And it's really fun to watch them week in, week out. And they're just clicking on all cylinders. The fact that they made this defense, play on their heels an entire game. And I get it. Aaron Donald wasn't playing that much, but it's like, still, this they, is a they sound had some trouble defect. tackling. I mean, Troy Hill had some bad yeah. moments where he doesn't typically, but I do think that they were in their heads. And by the end they of the were. game, especially, I think they, that they had so them. much confidence the whole game. It yeah. was just, it, yep. you could feel it. Like if you, you watch that first quarter, that first drive was like with a purpose, every play had a purpose. And it was like, after a while, it was after, even when the, the Rams came down, they had a beautiful drive to end a half. It was you know, maybe too little too late because then Rodgers comes right back down and gets the field goal. Uh, almost got picked twice. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't forget that's, that. I, I, the but, picks thing is like, but that's, he's going for the fuck you touchdown in that correct. moment when he really wants it. And I would, I understand wanting to go for it there. Like that's, uh, he, that's, those are times where it's no, almost worth fine. throwing an interception. I'm not knocking Rodgers because yeah. right before that he blacked out and he had the scramble play to Robert Tanya and that was unbelievable. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. And yeah, it, it's just, they played out of their minds and they keep doing it. They've only had a couple of, bad games this year and other than that they just look phenomenal every week and yeah we get to see him again and it's gonna be awesome <laughs> um you know we I haven't talked about the rams offense yet but yeah we'll do yeah, it in a second it was, it was good yeah i, I, I remember talking when i talk, when i talked to staley uh, in december you know he said something we were talking about the running game and how you defend the run when you're playing in those light boxes and obviously having aaron donald to take up a gap and a half or two gaps helps but they were able to defend the run even when Aaron Donald wasn't on the field this year because of the structures of some of the ways they did things. Mm -hmm. And what he essentially said was, and this makes total sense, when you're playing with that light of a box, you need to muddy it up. You need to not get hit flush with these runs. You need to kind of clog it up just enough to give your guys time to get there. And that's why having these quick hitting downhill runs where you can catch them flush the ways that they were, that's why it was working. Because you're not allowing these things to develop slowly in the way yes. that you would with an outside zone run where it's a little bit easier to muck it up. Hitting them right in the jaw by running straight downhill was the exact way to do this, especially because the way the Rams were lining up. I just thought it was a perfect game plan in every way. And Rodgers was so in control. I mean, just had absolute, just his finger on the pulse of the game the entire time and getting his guys in the right place, everything. It was a masterful performance. On the it other was. side of the ball, the Rams ran the ball pretty well, and I thought that they were going to be able to. You know, that drive they had at the end of the half when Pet was doing his Pet and stuff, and he's like, we're just going to line up. Because they came out in those five-man base looks. Yep. And obviously in the two-minute drill, if it's a little bit of a different consideration, but the Rams are like, oh, whatever. It doesn't matter if it's yeah. two-minute drill. We're going to keep <laughs> running the ball anyway. And they're just gashing them down the field. So the run game was as effective as we thought it might be. The difference in this game, though, is every time the Rams had to drop back, the Packers seemed to really heat up the pocket and make golf yeah. uncomfortable. And they did such a good job of bringing well-timed pressures and also 
some nice games. They took advantage of Whitworth a few different times on inside moves. And I think they understood he probably wasn't 100%. That was the way to go after him. But that pass rush package they have with Darius Smith, Rashawn Gary, and Kenny Clark on the field all at the same time, the type of stuff they can do. That's why I had, and obviously they have Jair Alexander and, and Amos. They have two real key players in the secondary too to help that stuff. But I thought the talent they had up front in those sorts of third and long, third and medium plays, they were going to be able to do some stuff when we got into the playoffs. And that's exactly what you saw. I mean, the sacks were drive enders for the yep. Rams. And that was the thing. The Rams had a ton of negative plays. The Packers had no negative plays. And that was the difference in the game. And the Rams had a decent plan, like not even just a run game. And they were getting into empty, which is if Goff's not hitting his first read on that, it's it's hold on to your hat as we we saw. Um, you know, the Rams were were in that two minute drill. They're going into empty and they're running high low corner, like smash routes, so like just flat corner smash routes, which is like a day one install kind of thing. And, you know, Goff's hitting them one after another. And then they, they would go empty early on the first quarter. They went they went on the quick they, or I'm sorry, on tempo and everything, because Packers are trying to get they they have long play calls because they have pressure calls and they do some subbing because they get some place packages in there. They run dime, you know, so they, you know, they finagle what they put in there. Rams caught them in base. They went, they were in 12 personnel. What that does also is puts Preston Smith dropping into coverage as opposed to rushing the passer. So that, you know, helps them just a little bit to be in that 12 as opposed to 11 personnel uh, when Preston Smith will kick on down against 11 when they're in sub. And so since the Packers were staying in too high, like in those, uh, in a too high coverage, usually against empty or something, uh, the mic will push to the passing strength, you know, like that's what he prefers. Even if it's two by two, he'll go to a two receiver side. If it's three by one, he'll go to a three by one side. If it's empty, he goes to the three receiver side. And the Rams took advantage of it twice in the same drive. I think it was a throw, another play, then another throw, all in tempo. Uh, they ran the little double move. I believe it was to Jefferson. I think it was. But anyways, it, you know, just what? Oh, it was to Reynolds. And he ran kind of like a stick nod. Yeah, right yep. around the mic, right around the mic. And then a play later, they hit Woods on a bender. And I was like, okay, they have something here. And then even before the two-minute drive, uh, or during the two-minute drive, hit the corner route, they go tempo. And I don't know if this is their concept, what exactly this is. It might be the signal for it, but it's double. it was mirrored stick. So they run that, and they run mirrored stick. They hit the touchdown of Van Jefferson. And I was like, okay, the Rams got something. Like, they know what they yeah. want to get done. They want to get done. But – Packers kept scoring. You know, they were holding the ball for forever. They couldn't get, you know, any like boom, boom plays where it's like score three and out score again. You know, those can really swing the game for obvious reasons. They just, they just got the ball deflated on them. Like they just couldn't get the drives going. It's just, it's hard to live in empty like that, especially at halftime when the Packers adjusted, they say, Hey, all right. After, I don't know if they did every snap, but they're like, we're getting heated up when they go empty and we get caught running too high because they're just, when a defense is getting caught and they don't know what to call, they'll just they have a couple just basic checks. So if they're empty, they're like, okay, you know, two, 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 whatever their word is for that. Sky, sky, whatever they want to say. And and on that, it's like at halftime, they adjusted a little bit, or at least they got put in situations. And then you saw Goff having to double clutch the ball and he's not creating any things with his legs. And it was kind of like game over after that. It, it's they just couldn't keep up. And then when the Defense isn't kind of generating these short fields or getting the ball back quickly. It's just it's too hard for how they want to operate, and you know so they couldn't keep the run game going throughout the whole second half because they were just you know bad game script, just like how the Browns have uh, same thing. The Browns happened. So the Rams have a lot of questions now. I mean, we'll have a lot of time to talk about that, but 
Staley just got hired as the Chargers head coach, which shocking, but not that shocking. Yeah. I mean, I think that the job he did this year, and we said it on last week's show, I knew that as soon as he got in some of these rooms, he was probably going to get one of these jobs just by the way he was going to present himself and, and just the way he would be in that interview. I, I felt confident about that, and that's exactly what happened. So now you're starting over there. I assume, if, if I were to guess, that Aubrey Pleasant should be hired to get that role. He should be their secondary coach should be promoted to get that role. Jalen Ramsey was talking about that today. I think that when you watch the job he's done with these guys and with those guys on the back end consistently, that would make sense. But now this is another team that their chips are pretty much all in here. I mean, they're set to be $22 million over the cap for next year. We'll see what happens with Whitworth. Obviously, you know, he'll be in his 15th year, 16th year. If he's going to come back, but Aaron Donald's set to make $28 million next year. Jalen Ramsey's set to make 22 and a half. And Goff is set to make 35. This roster, for the most part, is set. And they're losing starters and key starters. John Johnson III is a free agent. Troy Hill is a free agent. Austin Blythe, their center, is a free agent. They have a lot of holes. Darius Williams, who's had a fantastic season for this team, is a free agent. So... They're really going to test this theory defensively, where it's we have these two stars. What are we going to put around them? It's hard for me to imagine this defense without Johnson because of how smart he is yeah. and the things he does. Ramsey came out today and said that he's the smartest, most well-rounded safety he's ever played with. So now you get remove pieces like that. You remove the guy who was the architect of the defense that was the number one defense in the NFL. What does it end up looking like? And I don't think anyone thought coming into this season that the Rams were going to be real Super Bowl contenders. And I think that Donald being hurt and some of the other breaks and the limits of their offense, you could argue if they were or not. But now the best thing they did this year was what they did on defense. And there are a ton of question marks about what that defense is going to look like, both coaching and personnel-wise next year. So they're in a really interesting spot. I mean, obviously, Goff is the guy and he's going to be the guy, but... This is one of those moments where you're looking at that contract, you're looking at the amount of resources that you have, and you kind of sit there and think, even when he can do some nice stuff, which he did on Saturday, where are you if he has that sort of deal in a down year for the cap and you have all these holes on the rest of the roster in part because of it? And I think that that's kind of a reality that they're going to have to face this next in the next year or so here. Yeah, they... They really set themselves down a path. Like you said, they have to test their own theory. And uh, uh, Bryce Rossler had a great tweet. He said, Goff seems to really spiral after taking a sack. He did some digging, found out he averages 4.1 yards per attempt on the next drop back after a sack, which is the second worst in the league among 40 qualifying quarterbacks. Um, so if your veteran quarterback is have, spiraling that much, if he takes a sack, if they're going to put in these situations, like, I don't know what it is with him. Um, like you said, he does enough nice things, uh, you know, and when he's on, he's on that pocket. And it's like, I don't know. It's just a bunch of, uh, disclaimers when you, I want to talk about how good he is. And I, I hate doing that and considering a guy pretty good, but he's not, if I have to do that, you know, I have to go like, well, if the pocket has to be good, well, he's not creating his own place. Well, you know, McVay's helping him with that. So we'll see what they're doing. That's with the this problem, team, right? It's- that's the problem. It's just disclaimer after disclaimer. And it's the argument for it's the argument against giving a guy that contract if you think in any way he has to be the product of his circumstances. Yeah. And that's and that's the problem. Guy has to be scheme proof to give money to. It just has to. And 
and he doesn't seem like he is. And I, I yeah. like Jared Goff. I think that Jared Goff has done some really good things. I think that Jared Goff is a much more talented quarterback than people seem to think. I think that at yeah. his best, he can make throws that very few guys could make. Uh, I, and I think we forget that every once in a while, especially with the way this offense looks now and how dink and dunk it is and how horizontal it is and just the ways that it's changed. The passing game is just way less explosive than it was mm-hmm. when they gave him that contract. And it's just kind of, I don't know, it's changed the tenor of the conversation around him and the offense. I think that started to happen last year. And when you look at the financial realities of it, it's only going to get louder and louder. And that's where the Rams are going to be. You know, I think that they've done a really good job of figuring out ways to be competitive and relevant, whether it's changes in the coaching staff, the ways they've deployed some of these players, especially their stars. But I do think that it's going to be a tall order to do something similar on defense next year. I don't think you're going to be able to quite catch lightning in a bottle like they did this season with Staley. And if you can't do that, and let's say you're a top 12 defense because you can't fill some of these holes and regression comes schematically, you don't have as many advantages. What are you? And I don't know what the answer to that is for the Rams right now. And I don't either. It's it's I, that's why I like Sean McVay. He, he, took a chance on Staley and look, you know, and he bet right. And, you know, it, it seems that he has a great, I know he's not making all the GM decisions, but he has a great way of kind of seeing where he's at. I think he has a great way of self-reflecting and he uh, self-awareness to him. Um, and I think I trust what he, he decides to do. I, I, I've never met Sean McVay. Uh, I just have seen the decisions he has made over, over the last couple of years. Um, but it is interesting. I was really high on this team this entire season. I, I've I've never been shy about that. I have seen this team just be well coached on both sides of the ball and just doing. I love guys that just look at the game and just go, "Hey, this is where it's going." And both of these guys, I think, do that. But it's just it's just going to be so curious. This next step, this next step is going to be whether it's Aubrey Pleasant's defense coordinator or like whatever. And that also brings up the iteration or, or the the statement again. If you're going to give a guy that kind of franchise money, like not just at quarterback, but any position, even if you're signing a guy in free agency, we we've seen guys get signed for big money and they go to a different scheme and they're just like, eh, okay, you know, an okay starter as opposed to a star. If you're giving them that money, they have to be scheme proof. Coaches change all the time, as we're just seeing with Staley. Schemes change all the time. Year, I mean, mid-year sometimes, but year after year, it changes. Every two years, it changes. If you want to give a guy star money, scheme-proof. That When you're scouting a guy in the draft and you're taking a guy top 15, top 20, scheme-proof because coaches are one-year, two-year guys. Like They just move on. They're mercenaries. You're not going to get a system where it's like a guy had at Wisconsin where it's the same assistant coaches for over a decade running the exact same. They run the exact same verbiage that I did over a decade ago. It's not going to be like that. It's not that like in the NFL. It changes year in, year out. And I just think that it's a great way to look at team building because Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald, yes, scheme proof. Jared Goff, not so much, but that's that's what that's what happens. You know, you're trying to make your quarterback happy, but that's the that's what they buried himself with. A lot of questions, but one thing we do know is the field and what it looks like for next weekend. And I think it's the right four teams. I think it's the right four teams. I think that we it always seemed like we were cruising toward Buffalo and Kansas City in the AFC. Yeah. It felt like almost an inevitability and obviously some 
scary moments there for Kansas City, but it ended up getting that way. And I do think that if you looked at the way that the Bucks offense was playing over the last over the second half of the season and the way that the Packers were playing, that did seem like we were heading toward that matchup in the NFC championship game as well. So and that's where we are. You know, I mean it's yeah. we have Tom Brady against Aaron Rodgers and we have two of the most exciting quarterbacks young quarterbacks in the NFL on the other side of this. I was one more thing before we go, because I forgot to mention this when we were talking about the game. It's easy to get enamored with Josh Allen's physical ability. And I, I understand why people would, I mean, he could throw the ball out of the stadium and he's so big and so athletic. The play he made where he fell down and then somehow got up and found John Brown on the sideline. That's ridiculous. I mean, they shouldn't be able to do that. And it almost, that's the specific example. But I do think that that game is a representation of how important it is to have quarterbacks that can erase negative plays for you. It doesn't matter if you get a hold, anything like that. Both of those guys can overcome that. But I think the other thing about Allen, and it honestly reminds me a little bit of Mahomes and is how in control and calm he seems to be and how much they trust him. The autonomy he has, the line of scrimmage, in certain moments to make the right decisions and have that passing game become your running game, how in control he was and just how completely in sync he was during the two-minute drill in that game was really impressive to me. And I just think that that is the step of his game I did not expect. The mental side to come along the way that his ha- it has, where he's getting them in the right plays, where he's call- calling the right protections, where he's able to kind of make these choices and be patient. The one he had, the Singletary, where we talked about that little three-by-one bunch thing where they cleared out and he threw it to him a little short of the sticks for the first down near the goal line in the first half. He checked that down. He looked that off to come back to Singletary. And the patience he has in so many of these areas of the game, that is where I think that he's developed in a way that's as or more impressive to me than the accuracy and all that other stuff. And I absolutely think they're connected. I don't think, I mean, 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 it's the reason that he's more accurate. And I think is because he's playing so much slower between his ears and you just see it consistently. And I just think that those two guys who have this unlimited physical talent, pairing it with this control and confidence and comfort within the offense that's what you see in both Buffalo and Kansas City right now. I'm not saying that Josh Allen's as good as Patrick Mahomes, but I am saying that the subtler parts of the position that you wouldn't normally ascribe to Josh Allen and certainly didn't ascribe to him coming into this season are the quiet areas where he's improved and made this team even more dangerous than the talent would seem to indicate. So yeah. that matchup is, we're going to get into a lot of it. It's, it's an amazing game. Amazing. I, I cannot wait. It's Josh Allen too. It They run... We say Dable, and he changes week to week. I mean, they have their core stuff, but he is really willing to adapt his game plan and stuff every week. And you need a quarterback that can handle that verbiage and handle at least to make the player look competent. You know, sometimes guys are uh, athletic enough or uh, talented enough that they can just go, okay, I know what the number one read is. You know, when I was talking, actually, this was my uh, detriment for Drew Locke was that he only knew what one route was on the play call. Blah, 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 X dagger. Okay, I know I have X dagger on this play. I'm going <laughs> to stare at that the whole freaking way. Trust me, I've been there. Like, I know <laughs> when you get a new play, sometimes you're like, oh my God, what was this one again? But Allen can handle all this. He doesn't, like you said, it's calm. Like his head's, it doesn't look like he is truly frantic when he's looking left and right. 
He's blacking Last out every ago. once in a while under pressure, but and That's... fumbling in moments where it's like, oh my god, what is happening right now? But those oh my are god, that happened again. I was, like, I was like, I know this story. Like I've seen this story. This is like this is version one. This is version one, Josh Allen. But like speaking of versions, like last year against uh, against the uh, Dolphins, uh, he checked into a play and he said Dalmatian, and it was a true audible. Uh, there's no real true audibles like in. in and play calling or, or and how an operation happens. It's a killed play or a packaged play or a can can you'll hear what uh, Shanahan guys say. So there's not like a true, Hey, we're not running this play. We're totally changing everything. That's what an audible is. And last year against the dolphins, he, he audible to play. And I could tell because the line was going, looked at him like, all right, where are you telling us to go? And he was like, Oh, and he told him what protection or Randy, like told Feliciano and Morse. He's like, Hey, you do this. But I remember seeing that last year and I was like, okay, there's more, in between the ears to this guy, then maybe I gave him credit for like, he at least can operate and like, he looks at the play clock. They don't get delayed games too much. So there is something to him. And like you said, I do think the accuracy stuff comes the biggest jumps I've ever seen in accuracy. doesn't come from a new throwing motion. I think guys, you can't change your throwing motion. Once you hit a certain age, you can tighten it a little bit. It usually comes with footwork and your guy becoming smarter and more aware and more comfortable in what they're running. And then the game truly slows down. Cause then it's, if you can anticipate things, then you're more accurate. Cause you give yourself more room to create these throws. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what's and happening. He, and we just see this guy doing it to the nth degree. <laughs> Usually it's just small, small little jumps. Not what we're seeing with Josh Allen. He's just the ultimate outlier, but it just speaks to him. This game is slowing down for him. It's really cool to see. It's awesome matchups. I cannot wait for, for next week. Well, we're going to have a lot of time to talk about those in the meantime. So we will be back later this week on Wednesday. I actually don't know who's going to be on the Wednesday podcast this week. That's something that I'm going to have to figure out here in the next couple of days. been very distracted by the playoff games, but you and I will be back on Thursday previewing the conference championship games. We'll also have Lindsay on that show. In the meantime, please, if you guys would rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. I would sincerely appreciate that. Somebody left a one-star review this week because we swore too much, which I what? absolutely love. Oh, yeah. No, it's because you said you of, said two F-bombs for the first time ever. You said two F-bombs, and I was, yeah. <laughs> I, it was uh, it was an indication of our lack of character is, is, what, is what it said, which I actually really enjoyed. So that was very fun. But all, joking aside, if you guys would leave a review, that'd be awesome. Also, please subscribe <laughs> to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash football show. It's $3.99 a month right now. We're putting out so much good stuff. Shiel and Ted uh, did fantastic uh, game previews this week. I'm assuming that they're going to do some more going into the conference championship games. I have another story running this week. I also wrote about Brandon Staley last month. If you guys want to read that, if you're a Chargers fan, please check that out. I also wrote a story about Brian Dable and the Bills offense last week. So we've got a ton of great playoff stuff on The Athletic. Please go check it out. We'll be back on Wednesday with our typical Wednesday show. Sincerely appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you later. This was the Athletic Football Show.